The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to week six of the Summer Inn. We are in Calvin Lounge right now. Right now, it feels a little bit more intimate in here than it does uh, in the place that we have the Inn during the school year, Larson Hall. Uh, which is great. And so I know we already took advantage once by playing rock, paper, scissors, but we're going to take advantage of this intimacy again. Why don't you say hi to the, per- to the people next to you, give them a high five, and say what your name is. Kels? Hello? Very nice, very nice. A, the first the first known successful high five was completed by two Los Angeles Dodgers in 1977. The high five was was created. Isn't that kind of weird to think about? Uh, so yeah. Uh, anyways, I'm Ryan Andrews, and I work as the short-term missions coordinator around here, which means I help facilitate college students to go on international missions. And before we start tonight, I want to show a quick pic of some of our students who are on deputation right now. Uh, Jenna is climbing through this 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 what would we call this tunnel right now, and Ashley's behind her somewhere. Uh, they are in Peru, and they are there for eight weeks on what we call summer deputation. Uh, and I want to read, they're, they're right now in the Amazon rainforest uh, in this photo, and I want to read something that Jenna wrote on her Facebook wall the other day just because I thought it was a cool, a cool little post. This is Jenna. <clears throat> the Amazon trip was incredible, but it was challenging for me, not because we had a sharpened stick next to the toilet in case we had to spear a rat while going, not because conversations took three times as long to go from English to Spanish to Awajun and back, and not because we ate worm, hawk, armadillo, and monkey. In fact, all those things made the trip exciting, interesting, and the food was delicious. The trip to the Amazon was hard for me because my heart has been left in Iquitos, where we were staying. It is hard to give your all when not all of you is there. Still, great things are happening in the Amazon, and I'm so glad I got to be a part of it. That was Jenna. So, uh, when you see Jenna when she gets back, tell her that she is now famous because her words... Uh, we're, we're repeated at the end. Um, if something like living and serving abroad for eight weeks is interesting to you, if that excites you, let me know. Let me know after the end, and we can definitely have a conversation about that. Okay, so for the last five weeks here at the Summer Inn, we have been learning about Jesus and about how to continue growing in our walk with the Lord. But we have been doing so in a unique way. Yes, The intentions of the sermons have been to get us to drop to our knees and to give Jesus every part of our lives, as hopefully they always are. But what's different is that our chosen texts we've been preaching from for the last five weeks don't revolve around Jesus. They they rather revolve around a different person in the gospel story. Before we get any wrong ideas, I want to say up front that this person is by no means a replacement of Jesus. He is not on Jesus' level. This person is fully human, like you and I. He has successes. He has failures. He has emotions. He earns a wage. He goes to sleep at night, and he wakes up in the morning. Pretty standard, pretty standard human traits. 
But I want to point out that though this character is human, he's a special human. Special in the sense that he has lived some moments that you and I have not lived. He has seen some things that you and I have not seen. His insights into the person of Jesus and his teachings are firsthand insights formed while witnessing the work of the king himself. This person is Peter, or Simon Peter. He goes by both, and he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. In his life, Peter was able to look Jesus in the eye. He, was, he walked by Jesus uh, alongside paths. Peter asked Jesus questions. He was able to touch Jesus. He ate with Jesus. Jesus chose Peter to be a part of his inner circle, a privilege given to only three of the twelve disciples. Peter truly experienced the life of Jesus. And so tonight, we will continue our series titled, uh, The Life of Peter. This will be the sixth week in in which we'll examine a sliver of Peter's life found in the Gospels, while asking ourselves the question, what does this scripture tell me about Jesus, and how should Peter's words and actions influence my faith? Now, it's widely known that the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a.k.a. the Gospels, are not about Peter. They're about the life, teachings, and doings of Jesus in the early first century, 2,000-ish years ago. As we begin to read these books, though, we quickly realize that Peter was not just some throw-in character like Jar Jar Binks was in episode one. Uh, Peter had a role. Peter had a role, and it expanded as years passed. So let's take a look, before, before we get into the text, let's take a look at some significant Peter moments in the gospel story through artwork to get a better idea of who he is and what he's done so we can make more sense of the scripture, scripture we'll read tonight. And so first, we have uh, a photo here of Peter and Andrew in a boat, and Jesus is talking to them. Peter, in this moment, is being called by Jesus to join his ministry. Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisher of fish. Jesus called him to be a fisher of men and women, men and women. Uh, in our second piece of art, we, uh, we, we can conclude that Peter witnessed uh, miracles, healing of his mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. Jesus came and healed that. Peter witnessed uh, Jesus multiply just a couple loaves of bread and a couple pieces of fish uh, into enough food to feed thousands of people. And here, we have uh, the depiction of Jesus calling Peter to walk on water. And Peter took a couple steps on the water, uh, but then started to sink because he heard and saw wind coming and, and lost faith in, in Jesus' ability to, ability to keep him above the water. And Jesus asked him in this moment why he doubted. Can you imagine Jesus asking you to your face why you doubted? What was Peter thinking in this moment, you know? So that's another one. Uh, Another one we have is, um, so this is actually an interesting one. I wouldn't have guessed what this is just by looking at it, but Peter's original name was Simon, uh, but Jesus declared it would from now on, from this moment on, it would be called, he would be called Cephas, which means rock. And if you translate Cephas, which I believe is Aramaic, to English, it would be Peter. And Jesus said, it, it, was, it is on this rock, on Peter, that I will build my church. Peter was to become a great leader uh, at some point in the future. And then if we move on to the next piece of art, we have the transfiguration. To transfigure is to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. 
And this piece of art captures that story. Peter, two disciples, and Jesus went up to a mountain. And uh, Jesus was transfigured. He became, his clothes became as white as the light, and his face shone like the sun. Uh, and then Moses and Elijah appeared to talk to Jesus. And Peter was like, I'm gonna, we'll plant some tents and let's, let's stay here for a little bit. Peter was, was a fan of this fame and the importance of this situation. He wanted to stay there forever. He wanted to stay and just hang out with these guys who were so important. And who wouldn't, right? Like two people appearing and Jesus' clothes started shining. Uh, but a lot of, uh, you know, people look at this story and say, you know, Pete, Peter was was immature. You know, he wanted things that we want as humans, fame and importance. This moment was not about hanging out and, and just chilling. This was, it was a, an important moment for Jesus to speak with two of the prophets. And Peter just didn't realize that. And then we have one more piece. And looking at who Peter is, um, this art, it's not that quality, huh? Uh, depicts Peter's denial. Before Jesus was crucified, he prophesied or foretold to Peter's face that Peter would deny him three times. And Jesus was right. After Jesus was arrested and brought to the temple by the Jewish leaders to be put on trial, Peter secretly followed. And inside the temple courts, surrounded by opposers of Jesus, Peter was asked by three random strangers if he had any affiliation with Christ. Three different times. And each of those three times, Peter denied knowing Christ for fear that he might be punished as well. This story also is one often cited to make the point that, you know, Jesus called Peter, who as a person failed, like us. We fail as well. Um, so there, now that we kind of have a, a, a basic glimpse into who Peter is, what he knows and what he's done, uh, we can continue on. Now in a second, Kelsey will put up some slides with our scripture for the night, uh, the story of the empty tomb. Uh, which we'll be looking at in chunks. But before she does that, I want to give a little background as to what is happening in this section so we don't just start in the middle of a story without knowing what's really going on. Uh, it's actually pretty straightforward. So we're going to read John 20. But in John 19, um, Jesus dies on the cross. He uttered his last words, It is finished, and he breathed no more. His dead body was then placed in an empty tomb by a man named Joseph of Arimathea after he covered it with myrrh and aloes and then wrapped it in cloth. So we pick up in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, who was an ardent follower of Jesus, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now quickly, I just want to take a look at a picture of a, of a tomb. This is likely what... A first century tomb, this is likely what Mary saw uh, when, she, when she went to the tomb that morning. All right, we'll continue with verse 2. Um, so she, Mary, came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. Outside of playing sports or being late, I've almost never inherently reacted, responded to news or information by running. The only time that I can remember doing so was when a friend of mine committed suicide. 
We went to high school together and enjoyed one year of college together. She was a beautiful person inside and out. If you were to ask anyone who knew her, they'd agree across the board. She was a singer, and in many of her songs, she communicated to people that they were special, loved, and adored. Um, she cared. She cared about the well-being of others, and she was a lovely person. Obviously, my condolences always will go out to her family, a great family. Her actions caught everyone by surprise. And so when I received the news via text, I didn't know what to do. And so I ran. I ran downstairs, out the door of my fraternity. I ran down Memorial Way to Red Square. And then I, I ran to a spot I knew, which was near the football field, near Husky Stadium. They had a beautiful view of Lake Washington, where I, where I often went to pray. It was a combination of my shock and disbelief and the seriousness of the moment that caused me to run. It felt like the only natural response to an event that would forever change how I live my life. For Peter, running too was the only natural response. Running was the only natural response to an event that, if true, would forever change how he lived his life. Even before Mary Magdalene found him that day and told him the tomb was empty, Peter had some evidence to believe that Jesus was not just an ordinary person, as, as was portrayed in the artwork we saw. Jesus uh, was standing on water, and, he was, and Peter was the recipient of a fortune-telling session with Jesus in which Jesus predicted his denials. But now this, gone from the tomb, Mary said, he wasted no time putting himself at the scene of the crime to find out for himself what he really believed. In that moment, when Mary told him that Jesus was gone, there was absolutely nothing more important to Peter than seeking out the truth. In that moment, there was absolutely nothing more important to Peter than finding out for himself if Jesus' previous assertions about raising back to life were true. And so wasting no time, he ran as fast as he could to seek out the truth, to really find out if Jesus rose back to life. This led me to ask myself, what do I believe? What do I truly believe? What, what questions are holding me back or halting my faithfulness to the life Christ has called me to? And why am I not sprinting always, as Peter did, to answer these questions? As Peter was running to the tomb, he likely knew that what he was going to see or not see at the tomb would redirect his life. If Jesus, um, if Jesus was there in the tomb, or if Peter found out that he was relocated, that meant that he had, you know, not risen from death, meaning that the last few years living and, and following Jesus were more or less just an experience. But if Jesus had actually resurrected, he must have been the Messiah, like he had claimed, which would have implied a whole new way of life for Peter, devoted to obedience in the Lord of the world. Peter sprinted 
to find out what he believed. The question of what do we truly believe deep down is beyond valuable to us. The ramifications of our answers to that question will affect every waking moment of our lives. Why, why do we stall in coming to conclusions? Have all of us sat down and truly contemplated what we really believe about this story? It took me 23 years. It took me 23 years to realize that I had been walking instead of running towards the answer to the question of what do I truly believe about Jesus? I'd been involved in Christian circles and small groups for eight or nine years before, starting at 14 years old, but it wasn't until 23 years old that I first asked myself, if I really say and believe that Jesus was the Son of God and was resurrected from the grave, why is it not showing in the way I live my life? Why am I still living solely to entertain myself as opposed to being faithful to the God of the world through obedience to His Word? I moved to Spain to teach English after graduating college, and for the first time in my life, I started metaphorically running towards seeking truth. It took 23 years. And that year, I started asking myself questions that I had never asked. I started reading stories in the Bible that I had never read. If I was going to commit my life to something, then I wanted to have true faith in this something. I wanted to be able to defend my beliefs and know that, and know that I would genuinely and willingly defend them given an opportunity because of true belief. And the process of getting, the process of getting to this place was not easy. And the funny thing is that when we start running like Peter, running like Peter to figure out what we believe in, it may and will, it will take more than a day. It'll take more than a month. Maybe it'll take more than a year. There were some painful moments that I had in Spain and trying to figure out for myself what I believed. Sometimes attempting to find out for yourselves, for ourselves, what we believe in will take us down tough paths. But our faith is strengthened by our questions as long as we are earnestly seeking out counsel, good counsel and wisdom. Listen, I'll be the first to admit that there were, that there were sessions and that there still are times in which I don't run to the tomb like Peter did, but rather walk in my attempt to seek truth. And yes, this is also me admitting that there are still questions that I have and hope to answer at some point. The Christian journey is a long obedience in the same direction, said author Eugene Peterson. The important thing, though, is how do we respond to these feelings that we may have if, if we're feeling convicted right now? How do we respond to these moments of walking instead of running? How do we respond to those moments when we aren't practicing our faith as we're called to? How do we respond to our sins? To find out, let's continue in the text, starting from verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Our guy, Simon Peter, went straight in. Uh, then Simon Peter came along and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, 
as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. The first believer. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is what believers say on Easter Sunday. There is no doubting that the pinnacle of the gospel is this story. The story of the empty tomb. This perfect act of love is the backbone of of Christianity. That God's Son, Jesus the Messiah, offered Himself as a substitute and became subject to the penalty that our sin demanded. Justice had to be served for the ways in which people were turning away from God, a.k.a. sinning. Back then, it had to be served back then, and justice had to be served for the way in which people have turned away and will turn away from God in the future, today, in this day and age. God in the flesh, Jesus, offered himself. We weren't punished. We were not punished for the sins that we commit and will commit. Jesus took the punishment in our place. That being said, when we fall short of what Jesus expects of us, which will happen, allow yourself to be forgiven by forgiving yourself. When we do not forgive ourselves of our sins, when we do not forgive ourselves of our moments of apathy, our moments of walking, in seeking God's truth, we are now, we are not allowing Jesus to die on the cross. That's what, that's why He did it, so that you and I could be forgiven and brought back into right relationship with God. So forgive yourself. Let Jesus' work on the cross be done in your life. That is what Peter was running to figure out. Although at the time, he may not have fully understood what Jesus' resurrection meant. Something inside of him said, okay, this is one of those moments we should probably run. He didn't walk. He ran to see for himself. He ran to seek truth. Let's do the same. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've revealed yourself to us. Lord, we pray that obedience to you would be our number one priority, Lord, because we know that that brings true life. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.